Welcome to this special COVID-19 episode of the Caring Greatly podcast. As always, this podcast is focused on issues of leadership and humanity in healthcare. But during the COVID-19 crisis, we're focusing on the particular challenges raised by the novel coronavirus response. We've also shortened the format in recognition of the additional cognitive and emotional burden that leaders and care team members are experiencing. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, a CDC-trained medical epidemiologist and board-certified infectious disease physician with both domestic and global experience in public health. Dr. Fitzpatrick was recently named as a member of the Institute of Medicine and National Academy of Sciences Roundtable on Health Literacy. Dr. Fitzpatrick and I spoke a few months ago about the topic of health literacy and the distrust that exists between many minority communities in the healthcare system. Today, we're going to delve into the way that health disparities have resulted in the COVID-19 crisis having a disproportionate impact on communities of color and the poor. Welcome, Dr. Fitzpatrick, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here again, Liz. It's great to see you. Why is COVID-19 hitting minority and underserved communities especially hard? I think there are a few things to consider. First, historically, we've We've seen disparities, health disparities in uh, black and brown communities, uh, whether we're talking about heart disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and a lot of these, the explanations for these disparities are um, linked to a lot of the social factors. We talk a lot about social determinants of health, uh, where people live, eat, play, um, the kinds of work they do, all of those things impact uh, people's health and their access to healthcare. And traditionally, um, particularly underserved black communities uh, have not had um, the greatest access to healthcare or lived in neighborhoods where it's easy for them to be healthy. Um, Second, if you look at the workforce, uh, the people who can't stay home, uh, there's a predominance of people who are black and brown or people who are from underserved communities. Uh, who are struggling to make ends meet, so they have to go to work. And until recently, a lot of these people continued to be at risk. They were the bus drivers, the people carrying mail, people, uh, cashiers in grocery stores, or people who are stocking our shelves. We didn't have uh, the preventive measures in place to protect those folks uh, from, uh, from contracting uh, the virus. And then I also think um, we, you know, we have a lot of misinformation about um, health and healthcare out there. And in a lot of our communities, there's a lot of misinformation floating around. And if you marry that with the, the underlying distrust in those communities of health information and of the health, health institutions, um, it really created a perfect storm for us to see uh, these tragic disparities and uh, not just the numbers of people getting COVID, but the death rates from COVID. I'm in Washington, D.C., and we've had um, between three and 400 cases of um, uh, or deaths from COVID. And almost 80% of those are among Black people living in the district. That's so heartbreaking. Um, yeah. Thinking particularly about the misinformation challenge, what can health systems and care team members do right now to help mitigate the impact of that lack of access to good information or lack of trust in that information on minority and underserved communities? 
Yeah. Well, if you look at the information that's being delivered on mainstream media um, and even on social media, a lot of it is not uh, culturally appropriate language. It's also not, and just for the average person who's, you know, a member of the public, a lot of the information is being um, communicated in words that people don't understand. Even the word intubated. We use that word over and over and over again. And someone asked me what that meant Mm -hmm. or what does it mean to be on a ventilator? What happens when you're on a ventilator? And I have a standing um, question and answer session with a a group of seniors in my community. And I'm humbled by um, the, the lack of understanding of what we're talking about um, that's displayed in the questions they're asking me. So I think, the first thing we can do is make sure that we're communicating in plain language so that people understand what we're talking about. The second is we have a responsibility to combat misinformation. And this can be a full-time job, but if, if many of us are doing it, then I think that helps to um, address uh, the challenges we're seeing. There's so much misinformation uh, arising um, on, on the internet. And I failed to mention in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a rumor in the black community that black people were immune uh, from coronavirus and therefore couldn't get COVID. And I think that lulled us into, you know, uh, some, a sense of false security about the impact it could have on black communities. It, communities. And it's just that because we weren't seeing as much testing uh, in right. some of these communities, uh, or people weren't presenting for care or didn't recognize the symptoms because they weren't thinking about it. This is why we started to see such um, high rates. So we really have to do a much better job consistently addressing uh, misinformation. Well, and I noticed you said you have this Q&A with the seniors in your community. I know you and I are connected on Facebook, so I see you posting um, information that helps uh, debunk some of these myths and those kinds of things. So I also hear in between the lines of what you're saying, there is also an opportunity for health systems and care team members to be going to where those communities already congregate, whether that's virtual or otherwise, and not just sticking to some of those mainstream media platforms or, or otherwise. Is that fair? That is fair. And just yesterday, I was out in the community walking the streets asking people if they had questions about COVID, seeing what people were talking about. And, you know, while we're seeing a lot fewer people on the street, there's still a lot of people still out congregating. And, you know, the question is, where are they getting their health information? And where are all the people, not just doctors or nurses, but the people who work in the healthcare workforce, why aren't we out in communities helping Uh, people access services, understand what's going on with the pandemic, helping them understand how to navigate. Um, And and it was clear to me that people are hungry for that kind of resource. Uh, Some people, I just needed to listen. I actually didn't have to answer any questions. Um, They would just stand there and start talking because I think um, the isolation that we're seeing from um, the need to stay home and uh, the lack of uh, availability of healthcare resources is really affecting people. The urgent care clinics are closed, which, and these are places they may have been able to walk into previously. Mm-hmm. And all of that overnight has pre- that 
that system of support has uh, pretty much vanished for them. So I think if there, if there are uh, any opportunities for health systems uh, to deploy some of their team members, um, whether they're community health workers or nurses or other members of the workforce to go into community and just listen to people, find out where they need to be connected into the system. Um, I think that's really critical. And I'll just give one, one example from yesterday that really struck me about how, how important this is. I met a pregnant young woman who asked me if I knew where she could go um, to get care because she no longer had insurance. And I asked her why, why she thought she didn't have insurance. She told me who her insurance company was. And I said, well, why do you think they're no longer, you, no, you no longer have access to healthcare? She said, well, I lost my wallet and it had my ID and it had my insurance card. So I don't have insurance anymore. And I had to explain to her that doesn't mean she's no longer insured because they will be able to look her up and find her in the system and that we could help her get connected to them easily. So, and that's just one person I happen to run into, but it just illustrates uh, the lack of understanding of how this all works right. and the need for us to be out there so that we can hear what's going on and provide the support they need. I think that's so critical. Um, and I really hope that people listening to this will take that to heart and send people out into those communities. Mm-hmm. What can community members themselves do to make sure they're, they're gaining access to information or access to care that is really reliable? I think this is a really difficult task for the community because there's so, there's so much conflicting information out there. Even pre-pandemic, people were confused about what to believe because we, we see research studies coming out conflicting with conflicting information all the time. And so now we're in a situation um, where there are too many unknowns. It's very scary. So with all the fear, um, people aren't, aren't sure who to trust. And so the, this is the reason um, our mission at Grapevine, building trust in the community to um, address low health literacy or improve understanding of healthcare is so important. And so I think finding trusted members of the community or social service organizations, um, the community might trust using them as um, information resources or to help direct them to trusted information is also important. Mm-hmm. Um, once upon a time, I might tell people to go to certain websites and look for information. So for instance, uh, CDC, or um, uh, health and human services to get information. But the, the challenge is a lot of that information is very high level mm-hmm. and it's very generic. So it could never respond to a question like the pregnant woman had. Right. Uh, so we really need uh, people who are in touch with the community and able to um, talk to them at a very granular, granular level about um, the things that are uh, confusing for them. That makes a lot of sense. Um, really what this crisis is laying bare around issues of inequities, um, those issues have been systemic and persistent for a long time. So if we look ahead as we evolve and move out of the immediate crisis here, what changes do we need to help right these inequities moving forward? Hmm. Well, I'm going to answer that in short term and long term um, with a perspective on you know, both sides. 
when, when we first started talking about these disparities, Dr. Tony Fauci said, uh, we've known about these disparities for a long time and there's nothing we can do now, but we need to address this in the future. And I completely disagree that there's nothing we can do now in the pandemic. We know where the pockets of infection are um, arising and we can be aggressive about testing those places. So in congregate settings, so nursing homes, uh, jails and prisons, um, in communities, public housing, places where we know people have trouble with social distancing if someone in their family uh, turns out to be COVID positive. We need to ensure that people understand and know how to access testing. And then when we find uh, people who are positive, we have to aggressively conduct the contact tracing and then test those uh, the positives we find from that. And I think it's a matter of prioritizing um, where you deploy testing. And so in the short term, I think that's the, that's the only way we're going to see a significant reduction in the spread. Um, long term, we definitely have to keep talking about um, this issue, but it's really important to bring the voices of the community to the table. And the reason that's important is because historically we convened meetings all the time to talk about health disparities. And we bring researchers, academics, um, people, government officials, politicians to the table, and everybody bangs on the table and talks about how disgraceful it is that in the richest country in the world, we have these kinds of disparities. It happens over and over and over again. And so in order for it to be different this time, we have to ensure that people who are affected are part of the conversation and of the solution. But as a society, we have to be committed to addressing it. Are we mm -hmm. committed to ensuring that people understand how to access healthcare? Are we committed to ensuring everybody has access to healthcare? Are we committed to ensuring that people have the access to healthy food they need and not just access to the food but helping them understand why it's important to eat that way and how to eat that way um, if you don't have a stove this is a great example we tell people they should cook at home but what if they only have a hot plate right or what if they don't have the utensils they need to cook at home we had a woman ask us well which one is the cutting board so a lot of these things we take for granted because the people at the table making policy decisions don't understand uh, the level of need and priority uh, for the, the people uh, we're talking about. So they have to be part of the solution. What I like about both of those things, both the, the sort of doubling down of resources in the, the most vulnerable populations and the um, conversations that include them is that both of those move towards um, writing the trust imbalance, right? Mm -hmm. Like if, to the extent that's part, a, a deep underlying root cause, yeah. the only way to solve it is, is through that kind of connection, dialogue and commitment of resources. So absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. I, again, I hope people will take that to heart and, and start uh, or, or continue if they're already and, and do even more of going out into the community to talk with the folks who are the most vulnerable um, and being hardest hit by this so that we can turn this around. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. We'll continue with special COVID-19 episodes of the Caring Greatly podcast for the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening. 
please subscribe and rate us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or Spotify, or you can find links to all of our episodes at bocera.com slash podcast. This is Liz Bohm. Thank you for caring greatly. Thank you.